The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. So we'll have a word of prayer, and then we will begin on lesson number two. Uh, we have it titled Gospel po- Gospel Powered Parenting. It's a mix of that, and it's just sort of a all together with a bunch of other stuff, so we'll make our way through it, all right? Let's say a word of prayer, and then we will begin. Father, we love you. Thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace and your goodness, your mercy, all the good gifts you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that we have uh, to raise the next generation of believers. I pray for your wisdom and guidance, Lord. Uh, Lord, help us to understand that we need you. Uh, We must have your spirit, your power, and your strength. Um, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, I thank you for this gathering this morning. I pray that our time would be profitable. I pray that it would be honest and transparent. I pray that it would be helpful. Um, and, Lord, I just pray that from what we hear this morning in the class, the music and the special and the preaching today, um, that we would be drawn closer to you and that we would be able to reflect the image of your Son. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard a quote. Maybe I said this last week. I'm not sure. Did I tell you the quote about the guy when he was young had six theories on raising children and no children? Then he got six kids and has no theories, right? So that's the way it goes sometimes. And when you're late sometimes, you get the, the, the punishment of being closer to the front. So, sorry, Pete and Jess, this is being recorded. I'm sorry I even used your name. Maybe we can get this out of the recording. Sam and Justin, how are you? Look at Look what we have for you. It's the best spot in the whole... We saved it just for you guys. All right? And so... The truth is, there are lots of theories out there. What we want to do is look at the Word of God and see what the Word of God says. And God has not left us alone. All right? And so let's just quickly review from last week, and we'll touch on some things. Again, if you have questions or comments at any time, um, feel free to ask them. Just raise your hand, talk out loud, it doesn't matter. But we do want you to feel comfortable enough just to ask about situations and things that are happening, and uh, hopefully draw on the Word of God and the help that we have here with, with families who have raised children or our raising children, to be a help. Last week we said that we had to be committed uh, in four areas when it comes to parenting. The first was committed to the Lord. Um, again, and I say this, and, and you must understand this, if, if we're going to do this the right way, we have to be in tune with what God is doing in our hearts and lives. Um, we must be growing. We must know him. I was talking to a man a while back, and we were just talking about spiritual growth my own life, how, what were the areas or when were the times in my life that I saw the most spiritual growth. And here's the truth of the matter. I've been saved now from the age of 12. I've known Christ. My growth has been, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, accelerated. accelerated. Thank you, Mr. Manning. Of all people, the words just flowed. He knows my mind, <laughs> the musky mind. Um, it has accelerated over the last seven years, really accelerated and I can point back to my understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel, understand the gospel, applies to me every day of my life with, with, with my heart as a sinner, the grace of God, his mercy, to get off this performance-based kind of religion, um, to know the gospel and grace, and it's changed me, uh, and it's changed our family. And, and I want to tell you something. I, I don't care how many books you read or what you think you know. If your life is not being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, you will never be the parent God's called you to be. You'll never be the person God's called you to be. And so don't neglect this. Don't, don't get weary or bored when you hear people start talking about the gospel. We should, there should be something within our hearts and our lives that just 
it, we just we are excited again about what God is doing and what He's doing in our lives. So we must be committed to the Lord. Um, we must know Him. Then we must be committed to our spouse. Again, you can't have a divided front there. You've got to be on the same page. It's important. Your kids are not stupid. They're smart. Now, Kim asked the boys the other day, she said, which, which parent would you ask if you wanted something and you, you were iffy on it? She asked both Greg and David this. You know what parent they said? They said their father, not their mother. Go figure. She's the mean one. Sensible one. Right, that's probably more in line with the truth. Right? But your kids know. They know you. They know how to get what they want. And so you've got to be on the same page. And if same page, sit down and get on the same page. Don't waste time. Your kids against dad all the time. They do it in the best homes. Okay? Um, and so be aware of that. We've got to be committed to our spouse. Then we must be committed to our family. This unit, we used to say when we had four kids, it was us four and no more. And the idea was not that everyone else didn't matter, but that the four of us was this, this unit that we were going we to pour our lives into. And then David came along and, and ruined all that. It was a, a new thing, uh, us five, man alive. I don't know what we, we changed it. Whatever it was, we changed it, all right? Um, but committed to the family, committed to passing on this truth, all right? And, and understanding that, that we have this great responsibility. And then last week, we just talked about the priority of being committed to others, and that was the church and um, the older I get, the more I understand and realize the importance of the church of Jesus Christ. It's important, man. Christ died for the church. And, and you understand when I say the church, it's not this building. It's not, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, Scott Thompson, I think, was talking about um, being at the, at the gymnasium and how that was kind of cool to be over there. It was different. It was strange. But it was the church. The church was there. The church is here. It doesn't matter. Christ died for the church. And our families must be actively involved in the church. Okay. Now listen, I'm not talking about every time the doors are open that you're there with your family no matter what's going on. I think it's a little dangerous. Okay? The question was asked last week, how do we balance, it was asked after class actually, how do we balance um, this idea of, of family and then ministry? If we're going to be committed to the church, then, then how do we balance these things? And it, it's really a great question and it's one that I want to talk about before we get into the lesson today. Here's the truth of the matter. We're all busy, Right? I mean, we're busy being busy. We're so busy, we don't know what to do sometimes. Um, and the fact is, there are times when that busyness is not good, but it's necessary. There are seasons in life that we, we will be more busy than usual. It's part of life. And we have to be careful in that. We've got to watch that that's not always the case. But the truth is, when it comes to family and ministry, we have to go back to this, this priority list. And the priorities, I believe, are in order. We've got to be committed to the Lord in our own life, committed to our spouse, our family, and then the church. The church. There's a lie out there, and here's a lie. The lie is that you can do everything. You can't. You were not designed to do everything. This great truth hit me just about a month ago. I heard someone say it. I actually read it in a book. And he said that even the Lord Jesus Christ did not do everything. You remember he was praying and the disciples said, Hey, Lord, all men are seeking you and we've got some people who want to talk to you. And you would think that the Lord would say, Okay, let me go out and deal with all these people and think of all their needs. And he didn't do that. The Bible tells us after he heard these statements, he went to the next town. And here were a ton of people that wanted to touch him, to hear him, to be healed by him. He did not do it all. And you cannot do it all. And, and that's why these priorities have to be set in your, your heart and life. It's to God first, my relationship with him, 
then to my marriage, then to my children, then to the church. Okay? You have to realize that for some of you young mothers and fathers, your most important ministry right now are those kids. And, and don't minimize that. Do you, do you know, you, you are raising the next generation of believers. And there will be times in your life when you will have to say to, to, to me, to the church, to whoever, no, I cannot do that. My kids are sick. We're having issues. We're going through a discipline deal right now. We are swamped. We've not seen each other. We have got to pull back. I'm not saying just quick come to church. That's what I'm talking about. But when it comes to ministries, there are times that you have to say, I can't do that. And it's okay to say no. You must learn to say no. And listen, husbands, you need to help your wife in this. If, if your wife is like my wife, she feels, well, can anyone ask her anything? She has to do it. And she will. And she'll, she'll do it. But there are times I have to say to Kim, Kim, you are not doing that. And you can tell them your mean, bad husband said you cannot do that. And is it because I'm mean and bad? Yes, that's part of it. But the other part is this. I have to protect her because I know that she will do this. And so um, you ought to be involved in ministry. It's important. But you've got to balance this out. And there are times when your family's younger. Hi, he's smiling at me. He knows what I'm talking about. Parker. Um, he's cute, actually. Um, ah, he's smiling. Look at He's laughing at me. Oh, it's not... Um, but there are times that you have to say, no, no, no matter who likes it, you got to say no. And, and I think maybe, Kim, I, I'm going to ask you maybe just to, because you are the one, when we were in another ministry, um, it was like a crazy train, man. You hopped on the train, and it was chaotic, all right? And you didn't realize until you got off the train, and then you realized how crazy it was. But even there, there were times in the ministry that, that Kim would stay home, the kids would be in their pajamas. We wouldn't do those things because we understood that the most important ministry we had was not the church or the youth at that time. It was our family. You want to add to that, Kim? You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, right, as far as... Anytime, yeah. Go ahead and give an example of that. See, I should have said, no, don't do that because I'm stressing you out already, but go ahead. It wasn't just sick. There were times when our kids were tired and exhausted. And we knew that and said, you know what, we can't, we can't do this. And there's something about, and, and listen, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be stretched at times because you should. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be busy at times because you should. But, but you've got to have wisdom here to say, okay, wait a minute. We are being stretched apart here for this ministry and we're neglecting our family. Um, I, I tell young guys this I, when, I, when I talk to the pastors, um, because this is a problem with ministry. Um, if, if my ministry today stopped... Okay, if it stopped today here, um, I would certainly be devastated by that, but I'd be okay because I could minister someplace else. I could have other ministry. If I lose my family, right, I don't get another family, right? So, so even guys in the ministry, we have to understand this. Our priority is the family. That's what we're in charge of first, and it's awesome. You can, you can have other ministries, you get one family. And so let me just encourage you. I, I know it sounds counterintuitive for the pastor to tell you this, but what's far more important than you being inv- actively involved in ministry where you're there every week or, every, or five nights a week is that your family is strong and intact and you're teaching them and loving them and they're seeing the gospel lived out in front of them. That's far more important than any ministry that you think you have to be involved in where you neglect that. Okay? Does that make sense? 
Any comments about that? Like, you're all wrong. You're nuts there. That's Keeley. Absolutely. And, and, and Keeley's comment was the fact that, just doing this for the recording, that our kids need to know that they were more important than our job or our ministry. And i got to tell you, I hear stories all the time. You heard them on the radio about pastors' sons and daughters who hate the ministry, who hate church. And the reason they hate church is not because Jesus Christ did something wrong. It's because their parents made the ministry far more important than their family. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Um, you want your children to know that it's God, our family, you, and we're going to serve the church, and you should serve the church. I'm not saying pull out of that, but you've got to have wisdom here and, and be wise in those areas. Good. Anything else, Kim? And I think these people are investing in others who don't take them. Absolutely. It's a big picture. Absolutely. Um, and, and here's the, let me let you a little secret, right? You and I are indispensable. When the, hey, I need you. I, this is not going to run without you. You are the person for the job. We have to have you. You are indispensable to them until you say no. Then they find somebody else. I'm just, that's the truth. You might think you're, they need me. I have to be there. The church will not run without me. The youth department, the, the, um, the nursing, whatever it is. They, I have to be there. They need me. And you are a priority until you say no. And then it's like, oh, we've got to find something. And then what happens is you find out somebody else did it better than you did in the first place, which is really humbling to you <coughs> that you were um, dispensable. So, so we've got to keep our priorities straight there. It's important, okay? Really important. And I'm just telling you, I've been this long enough. I've seen... I've seen too many kids leave church at 18, 19 years old, and their attitude is terrible about Christianity. And it wasn't the ministry. It was their parents' attitude that ministry was far more important than taking time for them. I, I was out the other day, and I, this really impressed me. I even said something to the guy. We were, we were fishing for muskie. No, I've not caught any yet. And stop bringing it up, all right? Um, it's terrible. I tell you, funny. I'm not going to tell you a story now, but anyways, so I, I, we get there early, so we get the point. No one's there, and so I'm there early. I'm the first guy there, almost always the first guy there, and I'm sitting there, and a car pulls up, and it's a guy who's about my age, um, and he pulls out two kids with him. This is a I don't know, was it Tuesday? Uh, Tuesday morning? Who said Tuesday morning? Okay, whatever it was. Okay, Wednesday. Um, I forget what day it was. Um, and so he comes, and he's got these two boys with him. They're not his kids, they're his nephews. One's about eight, one's ten. He pulled them out of school in Hamilton? No, London. He was from London. Pulled them out of school. You know what I said to him? Good job, man. Good job. It's school, right? They have an opportunity to go and catch, well, he caught a muskie, I didn't, um, to see <laughs> in my spot that I gave him. Um, I'm not bitter. Um, but, but you know what? Those memories of being pulled out of school for a day, who cares? Okay, if you're educated, it's not going to make a difference, man. But that time that that uncle pulled those kids out might just make a difference in their lives. They will never forget that day. Okay? And so we've got to keep our priorities right. This life is fleeting, man. And those little babies will be gone before you know it. They'll be married, and they'll be having babies. So um, you've got to balance those things. And don't be afraid to say no, whether it's me or anybody else. I can't do that. I just can't do it. Any questions, comments? Okay, good question from last week. That's exactly what we want to talk about, things like that. All right, to the lesson today, uh, number one, these are uh, parental goals now. These are the goals that we ought to have. And again, this is foundational. We'll get more specific in the weeks ahead. Uh, but here's the first one of the idea. This is our goal, to be faithful instruments in God's hands for actively bringing up children according to biblical principles. Okay, again, um, 
you and I have been entrusted with a living, eternal soul. And our prayer should be, God, help me to be the instrument I can be, ought to be in your hands, so I can bring these children up to know you and to love you. All right? I, I heard a quote several weeks ago. It said, the soul of one rests on the voice of another. Alistair Bake said that he was quoting for someone else. So with the gospel, the soul of one rests on the voice of another. And with our kids, their souls rest on our voices and our lives. And so we must pray that God would help us to actively bring them up according to Bible principles. And, and again, that's why it's important. I don't care what books you read. You better know the Bible. You better know the Word of God. Okay? And we are to live out our faith in front, of, in front of them. So to be faithful instruments in God's hands for actively bringing up children according to biblical principles. Two ideas here. Letter A it is based on God's view of man. God's view of man. And this is where we're going to go counterculture. And we have to be careful. Um, we get wrapped up in psychology today, and psychology isn't always bad. We can learn some things as we study human beings. But here's what the Bible says about mankind in general. We are not inherently good. And that flies in the face of all the psychologists of the past. Freud believed that we should not oppose the basic drives of our children. Uh, Skinner believed that our kids are a blank slate. If we can control the environment, they would be okay. Rogers believed that they are little gods and given freedom, they will blossom. And the idea is if they feel good about themselves and self-esteem, they will function better. The problem is it's not biblical. Okay? I'm not talking about telling your kid he's a stupid idiot. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's understanding that at the base, our kids are what we are. We are sinners. And we have a bent and propensity toward sin. Number two says we are fallen sinners. Um, Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Psalm 51.5, we are shaped in iniquity, David says. And what he, he's not saying that my mom and dad were sinful when they got together. What he's saying is that my heart uh, is bent for evil. All right? um, and, and we said last week, we don't have to teach our kids to lie unless you're Brad. Then you teach your son how to lie. Okay? <laughs> but but I, I have a hunch that Scott knew how to lie before that. All right? He was just being tuned, fine-tuned. He was very intuitive, all right? All right. We don't have to teach them those things. Why? Because they're sinners by nature. By nature. And, 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 and this idea of, of knowing that our kids are depraved, like we are depraved, it helps us. And this is the gospel being lived out. Why? Because I'm not surprised now when my kids do something wrong. He would never. No, he probably would, right? His mother's blood runs through his veins. He probably would do, though, and so do his fathers, right? That, that's the truth of the matter, because we are sinners. And so I, sh- I won't be surprised when my kids do wrong. The truth is I expect it. I do expect it. And I'm not devastated when it happens. Why? Because they're just like me. They are sinners in need of grace, okay? And, and the other thing about that is this. I, I shouldn't be upset then when someone comes to me and says, hey, you know what your kid did? Well, how dare you? No, thank you for helping me see some areas that I did not see. And I'm telling you, listen to me, you might not believe this. I've had people in this church confront me about my kids. Thousands of times. <laughs> and there were things I didn't know my kids were doing. I didn't. And they told me, and my first response was, ah. And then you deal with it, and you go back and say, hey, thanks. I did not know. I needed to know. Because my, my kids are sinners in need of correction and in need of grace. 
Okay? This helps us. And, and there's no, it's not a ding on, can you believe what they're, and be careful. You folks who are raising two and three-year-olds, about judging people who are raising teenagers, you just better wait. Just chill out. Your day's coming. And when you think you've got all the answers and you've got it done, I'm going to tell you something. Those kids will throw you for a loop. And you think, oh, we got this. I, I love parents of toddlers who tell me how to raise kids. I'm just sitting back and, and not gloating, but just thinking, wait, your day is coming because when they come, teenagers are a little different. And not that our principles change, but don't be gloating about how you've got all the answers right now. Your kids and my kids are sinners. And they're going to nut up. They're going to do wrong. They're going to sin. And understanding that, that's their nature, it helps me. It doesn't hurt me. That, that's why, even in the church, the gospel is so important because we, we can be transparent. I can say, I've sinned. I blew it, just like everybody else. No more plastic faces. That's nonsense. That's not reality. Okay? And so, we've got to view this from God's vantage point of man. We are fallen creatures. Okay? And that's why we must deal with the heart. Too many of us are too concerned about the actions and the yes ma'ams, and, and nothing's wrong with it. Yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, do this, do that. But for many believers, they are raising moral pagans. And they're kids who follow the line, and their hearts are deceptive and wicked and evil. And you're not dealing with it. Why? Because you think their heart's okay. Their heart's not okay. Their heart is bent on evil, and they need to be directed and shown that they need their sinners they need not God's grace, and they need God's grace daily to help them live this life. Okay? So it's important that, that we understand that, that as parents, we, are, we base our parenting on God's view of man. Okay? We're not just looking to change their behavior and behavior modification. We're looking to direct their heart toward God. Okay? And I want to tell you something. I don't care how well your kid has behaved. If God doesn't have that kid's heart, they're in trouble. They're just in trouble. Okay. Sam? Um, Great question. Right. Until they're saved, how do you worry about their heart? Which is a good question. And what we do then is we try to guide and guard their heart toward the root problems, right? So it's not just, hey, give your toy back to your brother because we're supposed to be sharing. It's supposed to be, wait a minute, understand that your heart is bad. You want that for yourself. And dealing more with the heart issues... And, and, and I think even during those times, bringing up the idea of the gospel, like, hey, listen, you do those things because you're bent on, you're, you're, you're wicked, you're sinner, we need salvation. And these things that you're doing, they, they, dis, they displease God, they're not right. Um, and so I think part of directing their hearts when they're not saved is going to the heart issues. Not just dealing with the superficial behavioral stuff, but going deeper than that, a little deeper than that. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Can you add something to that? Okay, does that make sense? Because it's a good question. Some of us, we have kids that are older, and, and we think that, you know, they're saved. They're not even saved. Even if they made a profession, you better be careful. Sometimes we have a kid make a profession because he sees everybody else doing it, but there's never any fruit in their life, okay? But a good question is before they get there, always go to the heart issues. Don't just, just, just their behavior is bad. Go deeper than that. Hey, Johnny or Special Eddie, whichever you want to, hey, why did you do that? What was, it, what was the main reason that you grabbed your brother's hair and pulled it until the kid was screaming? Well, I want the toy. Why'd you want the toy? I don't know. Because your heart's selfish. You want what you want. We're all built like that. It displeases God. Absolutely.
Amen. Exactly. And I think even with the forgiveness part of that, saying, okay, wait a minute, we've got to make this right. You just yanked your brother's hair out of his head and he's crying. You've got to go back to him and apologize for what you've done. We need to restore that fellowship and then, and then lead into how God does that for us. I'm telling you something, the gospel is key to all of this. And, and, and I know you get, oh, the gospel, no, I'm, it, it's how it works. And, it, and even that little stage of two years old, we are trying to get into their hearts. There's a bigger picture here. It is God, it is the fact we're sinners, but he is kind, loving, and forgiving. He wants to restore that relationship. Dan? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's important because we, we have a tendency to think sometimes that, well, I don't want my kids to know that I struggle in these areas. Well, what you're doing is you're presenting a form of Christianity that's not even real. But, that you don't struggle, that you didn't sin, that you didn't blow it, that you didn't lose your temper. Um, that's problematic. And when I can say to my kids, you know what, and I said this to my kids, you know, I snapped at your mom, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that to her. It was wrong. And, and I was treating her in a way that was ungodly and not right. And I asked her to forgive me, and I'm asking you to forgive me. Okay, That's humbling. Okay? But it's a lesson that your kids will learn and know and see that if it's real for you, that it could be real for them as well. We don't do our kids any favors by pretending. Ever. Ever. Okay, They're not that dumb. And you might think you got them fooled at two or three. They will not be fooled at 18, 19, and 20 years old. Okay? So it's important. We've got to be transparent. Take off the facade and get back to the gospel. You've got to get back to the gospel. Good question, Sam. Anything else, comments, Joe? Absolutely. That's exactly right. And you frustrate them. You frustrate them. Because they know you sinned, they know you did wrong, but you're not willing to admit it. So, so if you're not willing to admit it to them, why should they admit it to you and why should they admit it to God? See, we're, we're setting a bad precedent when we do those things. And so it's very important to make sure that we're transparent. And great question, because sometimes it's like, wait, my kid's four years old, I don't think they're saved. Okay, that's okay, but still direct their hearts toward the Lord. Go deeper. Don't just be satisfied with behavior modification. That, oh, at least I'm, I'm not pulling my hair out anymore. They're, they're, I, go deeper than that. It's important. It's very important. Okay? Good. Anything else? Dave? Yeah, I, I think, Dave, for that, you know, and this is part of knowing your kids and knowing what they respond to, but, but we can't let things go either. Um, sometimes dealing with our kids is going to take a, a huge chunk of our day or week or life. Okay? Um, and, and we can't be weary in that. And, 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 and here's the other thing, right? I can't always guarantee the right response out of my kid. I, I don't even think it's always fair to, to do that. Um, but, but, it, but it is a good idea to say, okay, wait a minute. There's obviously a problem here. You know your kid's body language. We know our body language. You know the roll of the eyes, the slamming the door. You, you can't let those things go because that's an outward sign of what's happening in the heart. And then you pull back and say, okay, wait a minute. What's going on here? What are you so upset about? Why are you so angry? Why is it that you are not willing to apologize to me with this sin, right? And, and I think just prod a little bit there about, about God and who he is and how he daily forgives us and how that without this forgiveness there is no restoration. We have too many homes that the, things are never resolved 
And so there's not unity, there's not peace, there's not hope. And it would be far better to take the time, and, and, and really take the time, and, and it's, nobody likes it, no one wants to do it, but to take the time, do the hard work, if it takes hours to get it resolved. Because without that restoration, there will never be the peace in your home that God wants. So you have to know your kids, brother, and, and you have to be willing to say, okay, wait a minute, there are still issues here that we're not dealing with. Let's deal with them. And that's our job as parents. We, we've got to do those things. All right? And it's difficult at times, and it's, it's time-consuming, but it's well worth it. Well worth it. Anything else? And I want you to know something. As I, I sit here, and it just dawned on me. I, I'm not telling you I have all the answers. Just, just that you know that, okay? I just have experience of raising three boys. One's 22 now and married. One's 19 and leaving soon. The other's 13. We've made almost every mistake possible. So what I'm trying to tell you is don't be stupid and do the same things I did that were wrong, okay? And, and you have a room full of people who have raised children and they're looking at grandchildren now, okay? And they can attest to the fact that we've made mistakes. Don't do those things, okay? But if we, if we keep the Bible the main thing in this gospel, we, we can have help and, and guidance, Parenting is not as difficult as we think it is. It's hard, right? You've got to feed them, you've got to clothe them, you've got to teach them about Jesus, keep them from explosives, right? But, 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 but any more than that, I mean, it's not that. You've got to keep it right, okay? So you've got to be real in those things. Good questions. Yes? See, there you go. Yeah. My parents to keep my, my brother had a, um, he had a, my, my middle brother is prone to any accident that could possibly happen. This is my brother, right? He's a cop now. And, um, and my, my parents, when he was about, I don't know, 10, 12, maybe 10, bought him um, a, a chemistry set. A chemistry set, of all things. <laughs> no, science was not his thing, right? So he goes down the basement, and then, this is the truth, we're all upstairs, and we hear this explosion downstairs. And there's black smoke billowing from our basement, and my brother blew stuff up down. I don't know, he, he was fortunate to be alive, but... So, as parents, keep them away from chemistry sets and explosives, all right? And you have to do that, because it, it is a problem, especially for boys, okay? So, it's based on God's view of man. Number two, it's based on God's direction toward parents. Let's look uh, together at Ephesians chapter... 6, verse number 4, if someone can find their way there. Ephesians 6, 4, someone there? Go ahead, Dave, read nice and loud, brother. Really, this, this statement has always convicted me. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Do you know why it says that? Because fathers provoke their kids to wrath. We do that. We pick we push, we, we provoke them. God says don't do that. Okay? You men know what I'm talking about. Don't do that. And it doesn't get easier when they get older, when they think they're big men now at 12, 13. Right? Don't provoke them to wrath. But the interesting statement there is, this is the essence of God's directions. Bring them up. Bring them up. Right? They are to be trained. And here's the deal. The onus on bringing them up is not the church. It is not the youth group. It is not the grandparents. Parents, bring up your children. We have been given a command. It is our job to bring up our kids. 
we must be actively involved in bringing them to a place of maturity in their life. That's our job. When, when you start having kids, understand it is now your responsibility, not the government, not the school system, not the church, to raise your children. That's your job. Okay? And you have everything you need to do it. But you have to do it. There is no room for being passive. They must be brought up. If you think you're going to sit on the sideline, your kids are going to be okay, you're a fool. You're a fool. And it, it's hard at times. It's tiring at times. It's work at times. It's maddening at times. It's hair pulling at times. But you cannot be passive. You must be actively engaged. Engaged. Uh, letter B, there's no place for passive parenting. No place. When we become passive as parents, we make lots of excuses. Let me give you a couple. Here's some when, when we sort of disengage with our kids now, we don't take God's mandate to bring them up, and we become passive. We start making excuses that make us feel better. These are excuses that are wrong. We, we say things like, um, this is just a stage. And they'll, they're just passing through this. It's the terrible twos, you know, the terrible threes, the terrible fours, the terrible fives. And, and they're just passing through. We're going to sit back. They'll just get over this. I told you last week, uh, they, they, might, they might not be throwing a temper tantrum in the store now, but their hearts are still rebellious and they'll do something different at 13. It's not just a stage. You have to deal with it. Don't be passive. That's a, that's a poor excuse. Or we blame the circumstances. Oh, if the circumstances change, they'll be okay. If I just get away from all these bad kids, then he'll quit beating those kids on the head with a baseball bat. Because it's their fault. They riled him up. She's not nice to my little girl, and so that's why she did those things. It's passive parenting. Or they're sick. They're sick, and so I understand that they're mean. Okay, listen to me. Don't do it. Um, we've always had this deal in our house, and this, you ask our kids, we, we've always said this to them, you can be sick and not feel good, but you cannot be unkind. If you're that sick, go to bed. Go knees. Take a nap for three days if you have to, but you, you are not going to be unkind. You're not going to use that as, as an excuse. Uh, and, and, we, and there are times, even with my boys now, I'll say to them, you know what, you probably ought to go to bed. I know it's 6 o'clock in the evening, but you probably need a good night rest right now or you're going to get in trouble. You're, 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 you're being mean, man. Go to bed. You don't, don't, you're not going to treat people like that. It's not an excuse. We're being passive parents. We're blaming those things. Um, passive parenting results in making excuses for our kids. And, and let me just touch on something. And this is going to be a... Oh, I don't know if I should touch on this yet. I'm going to skip this until next week. Because this is going to be a hot button that I, I want to deal with a little more time. And it's going it's to bring up a lot of conversation. Then that make you think, well, what is it? What could it be? Um, it's about, about disorders for our kids. About ADD, ADHD, what that is, and what that looks like. Okay? Well, I just said it, so let's just start here. Okay? Um, I, I'm not saying that, that when our kids are diagnosed with these things, it's not a problem. It is a problem. But you've got to be careful. I have a manual in this counseling book. It's, it's a manual um, from, it's the big psychiatric manual that they use to diagnose all kinds of problems. And I just have a clip here. I, I want to show you something. Um, 
This is from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual Number 4, published by the American Psychiatric uh, Association, 1994. And it lists the 18 symptoms under three categories of inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. Here, here are the things that we look for when we, when we say that a kid has ADD or um, ADHD. Okay? There is no medical... We don't take a blood test to find these things out. Right? They're, not, they're not examined like that. We go through this list, and if they have like, I, I don't know how many the, of the, 80% of the 18, is that what it is? What? Okay, good. No, and I'm glad, Ryan. Good. I'm going to talk about that. I knew this would be good, and I'm just going to run out of time, but this is good. Maybe we'll stop right here and have Ryan come back next week. Here, here, are, here are the symptoms, okay? Um, often makes careless mistakes in schoolwork, work, or other activities. Uh, often has difficulty sustaining attention in tasks or play activities. Often does not seem to listen when spoken to directly. Often does not follow through on instructions and fails to finish schoolwork, chores, duties, blah, blah, blah. Often has difficulty organizing tasks and activities. Often avoids, dislikes, or is uh, reluctant to engage in tasks that require sustained mental effort. Often loses things necessary for tasks or activities, toys, pencils, books, etc. Is often easily distracted by uh, extraneous stimuli, is often forgetful in daily activities, often fidgets with hands or feet or squirms in seat, often leaves seat in classroom or other situations in which remaining seated is expected, often runs about, climbs excessively uh, in situations in which it is inappropriate, often has difficulty playing or engaging in leisure activities quietly, is often on the go or often acts as if uh, he is driven by a motor, often talks excessively, often blurts out answers before questions have been completed, often has difficulty waiting his turn, often interprets or intrudes on others' conversations or games. That's the list. Now listen to me. And I'm not minimizing. I've talked about this a while back. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but listen to me. That list I just read talks about almost every kid that is ever born early on. And that's the truth of the matter. That's the truth of the matter. And what I'm saying this morning is this. I'm not opposed to medication. Some churches say, you know what, don't, no medication, ever, never, don't do that. I'm not saying that, and I would not say that. But if we think that just giving a child medication solves the problem, that's not right. It's just not right. It might help. Um, interesting uh, study years ago, and I don't have it in front of me. You can check it out for yourself. In England, they did a study with 100 kids who had ADD. And what they did was the kids were all medicated, all of them. And they took their parents for several weeks and trained their parents how to add structure to their home and deal with their children. And after that time, 80% of the kids came off of medication. It was the parents' structure that was causing those kids real problems. And I'm telling you something. I'm not a medical doctor, but I see it all the time. Those kids need structure. Uh, again, listen to what I'm saying. We do have adults who have ADD, and they, and they take medication. I'm not opposed to that. But if you think just taking medication is the end-all, be-all, you're mistaken. Because the medication may help me think for a minute, but I still need to add things to my life for structure. Okay? It's the same for depression. We can take medication, and it can really help us. And sometimes because of our hormones, we need it. But if I don't change the structure of my life and add some things there, I'm going to be dependent on medication and never make changes that could really help me. So understand what I'm saying. Um, I know we, we are in a different world today. And, and there are lots of problems. 
but I'm not willing to say it's all because of whatever. I think some of these problems happen because of the structure in our own homes. That we're not stepping up to the plate and dealing with things. And if a kid needs medication, he needs medication. But don't just say, oh, the doctors gave medication, I'm done with them. No. Then add structure to the kid's life. Learn how to discipline them and to talk to them and to correct them and make them look you in the eyes. There are other things to do. And so understand what I'm saying today. I'm not saying, oh, pastor just thinks my kid is a drug addict. I never said that, and I would not say that. I think there are times that medication is very helpful. But if you think medication is the answer to all of your problems, you are mistaken. You are mistaken. That kid will never know how to deal with anything. How's he going to deal with the real world? If we don't start helping them along, you cannot be a passive parent. You, you cannot be. It is not helpful. You, you might be good with it now because you don't have to do as much work. You are destroying your kid for the future. Quit making excuses. We must be engaged. Engaged. Dan? That's what we do with everything. And we can't do that. And listen, I understand. You know what? I'm not a single parent raising three kids. My mom was. I, I, I know it's difficult. And sometimes the easiest thing to do is take them to the doctor and get a medication. Don't worry about it. But that's not the answer. Maybe the kid needs medication. But you can't stop with that. You, you've got to do more than that. You've got to be engaged. That's why you have to know who your kids are. You know what makes them tick. You've you got to know what situations they really have trouble with and then say, okay, let's look at this and what are we doing? And how can we change these things? How can we help him? Yeah, no one's going to be nice to, as nice to your kid in your home when they leave it. They're not going to want to hear about his attention deficit disorder on the job or his spouse isn't going to have that excuse every time something happens. Right? You still have to deal with that. And granted, here's Ryan saying, yeah, I, I've been diagnosed with it. Granted, it's there. At 25. Right. Okay. To 25. And so, so it's, it's a reality that we face. But I'm telling you something. You cannot be passive and just say, okay, I'm just going to pass them off to somebody and medicate the kid and we're okay now. It doesn't work that way at all. Praise the Lord. And there are times when the kids need medication. But you have to be in tune with your kids and know what's going on. And that's, and that's what one of the things we've lost in our society. We don't know our own children. 